From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Hey, welcome aboard. Just looking through the glass at my uh, technical producer, Tim Spreen, resplendent in his Wonder Woman t-shirt. I'll allow you all to utilize the uh, the power of theater of the mind to imagine what that looks like. Tim, of all the T-shirts, I mean, you've gone to a comic book convention and you've come away with a Wonder Woman T-shirt. Why not, you know, the million-dollar question, why not Thor? Why not the uh, the, uh, the Iron Man? Why not the Submariner, for crying out loud? Why Wonder Woman? A str- uh, you know, no question, a strong, you know, female character. Be, you know, you're going to score some points with the ladies for, you know, for having the courage to wear the Wonder Woman t-shirt. Congratulations. Tim Spreen. Hey, tonight we're commemorating the, can you believe it? It's 16 years coming up. The, uh, the death of Princess Diana in a, uh, a tunnel in Paris. Along, of course, with, uh, Dori Fayed and, uh, the driver, Henri Paul, her bodyguard, of course, uh, uh, terribly injured in that crash. Now, uh, the, um, a number of British uh, newspapers are sh- with screaming headlines. Was Princess Diana murdered by British by a British soldier? Uh, new evidence com- has come to light, uh, and uh, the Metropolitan Police are assessing credibility of a new claim made in court uh, made in a court martial of an SAS sniper by the name of Danny Nightingale. And the police are again assessing its relevance and credibility. The forces said it is not a reinvestigation into their deaths. Uh, however, we shall see. And here we explain more is the Director of Counterintelligence at Executive Intelligence Review, our good friend Jeffrey Steinberg. Hey, Jeffrey, how are you? Terrific, Richard. Great to be back on the show. Listen, before we get into this new information that's uh, come to light regarding uh, an investigation or a re-examining of some, some new evidence into the uh, the deaths of uh, Princess uh, Diana and, uh, and uh, Dodi Fayed, uh, I want to set the stage for people. Uh, because you were really on the forefront of, of covering this story from the get-go, uh, going back to, uh, to August of 1997. How did you first get involved in reporting on the, uh, the car accident, the claim, the, or car accident, quote, end quote, yeah. uh, uh, for executive intelligence review? How did that get started? Well, as it happened, um, executive intelligence review in the uh, six-month period preceding the uh, death of Princess Diana had published a series of very comprehensive reports on the nature of the British Empire. And our basic starting point was that most people believe that the British Empire sort of ceased to exist sometime between the late 19th and early 20th centuries, and that now they're a sort of a uh, powerless curiosity and... Uh, the queen is more of a tourist attraction than a power in the world. And so we set out to really debunk that whole view because, number one, uh, we knew that under the British Commonwealth, you had uh, 57 countries representing about a third of the world's population and a slightly larger percentage of land mass and areas within the Commonwealth controlled an overwhelming majority of the strategic war material wealth of the planet. We also knew that the uh, operational capabilities of British intelligence and many of the private mercenary spin-offs were deeply involved in conducting uh, imperial operations around the globe and that, uh, if anything, one of their most successful operations was 
penetrating and establishing a level of political influence bordering on control over much of the political process in the U.S. So in other words, we set out to demonstrate that the British Empire was hardly dead. In that context, we were closely following a several-year uh, fight that was taking place within the upper echelons of the British monarchy and the British establishment, in which Princess Diana was playing a very significant role. She was not a passerby and was not an inconsequential political personality. She was enormously popular, and she was a tremendous thorn in the side of the British royal family, especially Prince Philip, the royal consort. She had, of course, divorced Prince Charles, and shortly before her death, had given a whole series of very high-visibility interviews. One of them, a famous interview with Robert Frost, had basically led to her saying that her late husband, uh, her divorced husband, Prince Charles, was absolutely unqualified to be the next monarch. And uh, I think it's important to remember that Princess Diana came from the Spencer family, which was an old, old English aristocratic family that had people on the English throne way back when the uh, Windsors were basically uh, quasi-pagans running around in Germany. Yeah, uh, if, I, if, I, if I understand, uh, uh, Jeffrey, her lineage goes back to King Henry VIII and, then, and then subsequently the Stuarts. Uh, so one could argue that she had perhaps as great a claim to the throne as the Windsors. Uh, and, and in fact, more so. Re remember, the Windsors were German. They were the Saxe-Coburg-Gotha, who were brought onto the English throne only at the beginning of the 18th century. And in fact, on the eve of World War One, uh, they changed their official designation from the Hanoverians, referring to the Hanover region in Germany, which was their historical ancestral principality. And they changed their name to the Windsors, which was named after one of their castles. So there was no Windsor lineage in English history. It was the German Hanoverians who came onto the English throne in the early 1700s. And so, yes, you're right, Diana had a lineage that went way, way, way back before the current uh, royal family. And so she posed a very high-level political threat to the credibility and the survival of the House of Windsor. She was not necessarily a Republican favoring the elimination of the monarchy, uh, but since there's no formal procedure for succession of one royal family to another, uh, this was high politics, and the idea that this was all about her fling with Dodi Fayed was a cover for a much more serious political confrontation that was going on at the time and that she was at the center of.
Sounds like a continuation of the old War of the Roses. Precisely right, precisely. Certain aspects of history within an imperial dynastic system really don't change in character. The names change, the personalities change, uh, the historical setting changes, but the nature of the beast remains more or less persistent. Jeffrey Steinberg is with us, the Director of Counterintelligence at Executive Intelligence Review, in fact, one of the founders of Executive Intelligence Review. Uh, Jeffrey, let's, uh, let's talk about well, we had the Lord Stevenson, uh, the Lord Stevens, uh, rather, uh, inquiry into Princess Di's uh, death and Dodi Fayed's death that dragged on for several years. Uh, listen, we'll, um, we'll get into that now, uh, and we'll continue it. We've got a break coming up in not too distant future, but let's start the conversation now and, and talk about, uh, first, the, the, the Lord Stevens, uh, inquiry, the Operation Paget, as it was called. Uh, what was the, conclu- the, uh, the conclusion there? Well, the, the important thing about that inquiry is that they did not conclude that it was an accident. Um, in EIR's research work, uh, we basically said there were three possibilities. Uh, drunk driving accident, uh, which we dismissed almost out of hand for a whole variety of reasons. <coughs> Second possibility was um, what would be referred to in American law uh, as basically uh, vehicular homicide. Basically, you had a high-speed chase, and at minimum, uh, the paparazzi who were being given advance indication of Princess Diana's travels by British intelligence, and that's something that came out from statements made from a number of the paparazzis, including several that I interviewed personally. Uh, they were getting tipped off. Hey, Diana's arriving at the airport uh, outside of Paris at a certain time on a private plane. Be there and harass the hell out of them. So you had, throughout the whole day, um, high-speed chases from the airport into town and then uh, departing from the Ritz Hotel. So the question was never that it was strictly an accident. The question was, was there a case of manslaughter, uh, aggravated manslaughter, vehicular homicide, based on the fact that there, you know, there was no legitimate reason for there to be that high-speed chase. And then the other question was, would sufficient evidence surface to suggest that the high-speed chase was part of a larger plot and that there was a professional assassination embedded in the day's activities. So the Paget report said that it was vehicular homicide and they placed a certain blame on the driver, Henri Paul, but they also placed the blame on a number of the paparazzi who were engaging in a constant skirmish kind of harassment of Diana and Dodie from the moment that they arrived uh, in Paris right up through to the instant of the crash. So the Paget report got halfway there, but certainly the investigation did not explore all of the avenues and 
many, many people had the view, myself included, that there was an absence of evidence that was decisive, but that there were clearly indications that you're dealing with a full-bore assassination in which the paparazzi played a very vital supporting role, whether they were in on it or not is a whole other question, but that there were professional assassins with long experience from conducting these kinds of operations for intelligence agencies who were there and played a participating role. <clears throat> there was the question of the white fiat. Yes, well, there was listen, the question we'll get in, of lasers. There were many things that left unanswered by that Paget inquiry. We'll get into the uh, the, uh, the white fiat um, uh, when we come back, but uh, we'll take a time out. Jeffrey Steinberg with us, the the director of counterintelligence for executive intelligence review as we discuss the perhaps murder of Princess Diana as we um, close in commemorating the what is now the 17th anniversary of her death and of course Dodi Fayed, Henri Paul. Uh, let's talk about the new information when we come back on the other side. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. The truth will set you free, but first, it'll really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Jeffrey Steinberg from Executive Intelligence Review talking about the uh, murder of Princess Diana, Dodi Fayed, late August of 1997, one of those pivotal moments in history. I'm sure everyone remembers where they were when they heard the news. And, of course, the great shock was uh, that many of us remember hearing that she was involved in a car accident. Yes, the uh, her, her bodyguard was dead. The driver was dead. I'm sorry, the, the bodyguard was uh, alive. Her driver was dead. Dodi was dead. But Princess Diana uh, didn't appear to be uh, terribly injured and, in fact... A physician who was on the scene, the first physician who saw her on the scene, uh, told a friend after uh, helping her out of the car he expected her to survive, and we'll get into that a little bit as well. Right now, Jeffrey, let's let's talk about the, this new information that has come to light. Uh, an unnamed army source now is saying that a member of the British military was involved in her murder. First of all, where did this story come from, and what do you make of it? Well, there's an ongoing series of legal actions, divorce cases, uh, prosecutions against some British SAS soldiers. And in the course of all of that, <clears throat> the in-laws of a still unnamed British SAS soldier informed the uh, hierarchy of the British military that their former son-in-law had uh, essentially boasted to members of the family that Princess Diana had been assassinated as part of a high-level British intelligence operation that he himself had personally participated in. Uh, this unnamed soldier, he's referred to as uh, Soldier N, um, was a highly trained sniper. And so all we have are basically snippets. The uh, British authorities considered it serious enough to uh, open up a brand new investigation. And they've emphasized that the investigation that was announced about a week ago uh, is on the basis of new information. It's not a rehash 
of the evidence that was reviewed by the Stevens Commission, uh, the Paget investigation. Uh, and so these are new allegations, and there is sufficient enough credibility to warrant uh, a full-scale investigation. Presumably, this unnamed soldier uh, is known in terms of his identity. Obviously, if his former in-laws provided the authorities with the information, they know who he is. So um, this is an open-ended question, but it goes back to revelations uh, that were made at the time that the investigation, the initial investigation, was going on. Uh, a former MI5 officer, a former MI6 officer, uh, both came forward and said that the modus operandi of the action against Princess Diana and Dodi Fayed was similar to earlier assassination attempts conducted by British intelligence and that vehicular homicide was a popular method because uh, if you could induce a car crash, then uh, there would be little reason to suspect foul play. And so um, we had Richard Tomlinson and uh, David Shaler, who both provided information that very much parallels what this new witness is saying uh, in terms of a fairly widespread practice by not just British, but by a number of intelligence services to create the conditions where an assassination appears like an accident. Now, the in-laws of this particular uh, member of the uh, British Army, of the SAS unit, he's a sniper. What, how, what role, let's assume for a moment that, that, uh, that Princess Diana was targeted for assassination, what role would a sniper have played in a motor vehicle accident, or, or how would a sniper be involved in something like that? Well, there's two possibilities. Um, number one, uh, that uh, there were, um, first of all, remember, again, the undisputed facts are that there was a high-speed chase from the Ritz Hotel uh, right up to the point of the crash in the tunnel. And so um, there's always the possibility that a sniper was prepositioned to fire at the car, to fire at the driver, which under those kinds of circumstances would be sufficient uh, to cause a, a, a panic reaction by the driver in a crash. Secondly, there are reports that there were uh, high-frequency light blasts uh, seconds before the crash. And so the question is also whether or not some kind of a laser device was used to blind the driver. It would only take a few seconds, and uh, that would be sufficient to virtually guarantee a crash given the speed uh, at which the car was moving. Of course, there are reports involving uh, a motorcycle, the white Fiat, perhaps another black car, um, that may have actually also contributed by um, ramming 
the Mercedes carrying Princess Diana and Dodi Fayed at a certain critical point once they went inside the tunnel. There are many possibilities, but I think the critical thing is that this witness coming forward takes this from the domain of hypothetical to a domain where an allegation is being made by a potential eyewitness. Jeffrey Steinberg is with us from Executive Intelligence Review. Uh, Jeffrey, you are one of the first, I believe, uh, to report of a physician who happened to be passing by. I, I alluded to this uh, at the top of the segment uh, and, and rushed over to find Diana in the back seat uh, with no visible injuries. Run us through that, what, what happened and, and who this physician was and what he found. Well, yes, he was just passing by, and um, there is a good Samaritan law in France that uh, if any kind of accident scene has happened and a qualified physician or emergency medical person um, passes by, he's obliged to stop. And so this particular doctor did exactly that. And um, so to his satisfaction, uh, Princess Diana had suffered some internal injuries and was uh, obviously badly, badly shaken. And uh, his conclusion at that moment was that um, she would survive, and uh, he only left the scene when the emergency medical crews arrived a few moments later. So um, his presumption that she was injured but that the injuries were not fatal what happened next is uh, a profound scandal in itself. Um, the emergency rescue crew uh, delayed on the scene for about 45 minutes before they completed the process of putting Princess Diana into the envelope, which was a kind of a mobile emergency room. And when they left the tunnel, instead of proceeding to the nearby military hospital, which is the normal location that you would have brought a high-visibility uh, personality like Princess Diana to, uh, they passed by that site and instead went a considerable distance past that to uh, another hospital and um, all told... At a certain point, this ambulance quasi-emergency uh, room pulled over to the side of the road, not far from the hospital that they eventually took her to, and sat on the side of the road for 10 or 15 minutes. They claimed that they were administering emergency procedures, but uh, nobody really can say for certain what happened. What we do know is that from the time that the initial emergency crew arrived in the tunnel to the time that she was brought into the emergency room at the hospital uh, and was ultimately declared dead on arrival, a span of two hours elapsed. Now, My the word. standard procedures in France are that you would bring a medevac helicopter and that she could have been whisked up and rushed to the emergency room and could have been uh, in surgery within 15 minutes of the arrival of that uh, medevac helicopter. 
when you have internal bleeding, which was the most likely thing, and in fact the doctor who made the stop at the tunnel uh, saw some significant signs of internal bleeding. What would those have been? The signs? Um, a certain um, glazed eyes, cold skin, several other things that uh, are not the kind of thing that you can see on the surface, but they're telltale signs of the internal system going through shock. And we're told by the firemen that we're trying to, uh, to, to extricate her from the vehicle that her heart stopped momentarily as they, they got her out of the vehicle. Is that true? Do, uh, do you believe? There, there are a lot of question marks around that. Um, uh, and, uh, again, the initial response of the physician on the scene uh, would tend to belie that claim. Um, these are all of the answers that still uh, remain to be gotten now 16 years after the fact. Uh, and unfortunately, um, there are many unanswered questions, many things that really ought to have been explained long ago that still remain unanswered. Why did it take two hours? When the universal standard procedure for internal bleeding anywhere uh, is what's called scoop and run. In other words, you've got to get that person into a full-blown surgical operating room uh, to get inside, find where the internal bleeding is, and stop it before the person just bleeds out, which is what happened to Diana. She bled to death. Yes, basically. So basically, the two-hour period from the time that the emergency crew arrived to when she was delivered dead in the operating room, that was a critical phase of what happened. And we don't know why uh, or who ordered the procedures that were carried out. Uh, do we know who the the uh, ambulance attendants were? Have they ever been interviewed? Because, you know, the skeptics w would say that, well, well, they would have to have been in on it as well because they would have, one would presume, in those two hours, been taking whatever measures they could outside the hospital uh, to try and save her, but if the instruction was, no, let's just pull over here on the side of the road and let her bleed out, then that would obviously indicate they would have had to have been in on it. The official French story is that um, in France the procedures are different, that these ambulances are not really ambulances, but they're, as I say, quasi-emergency rooms fitted with much more equipment and things like that. So the French claim was that uh, the procedures they used were appropriate and uh, that nothing could have been done. Uh, I interviewed, uh, and colleagues of mine interviewed at greater length, some of the leading emergency response specialists in Paris. Okay, we're going to take a time out. Let's find out wh what uh, you discovered when we come back. Jeffrey Steinberg, Executive Intelligence Review, here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarity. 
We're back with Jeffrey Steinberg from Executive Intelligence Review as we commemorate the 16th anniversary of the uh, death of Princess Diana of Wales and her uh, boyfriend at the time, Dodi Al-Fayed, and of course the driver, Henri Paul. Uh, so, the, you interviewed the ambulance attendants and some of your colleagues did at length. What did you discover? Not the ambulance attendants, but people who actually were higher-ups in the French medical ah, establishment all right, all who right. established the standard procedures. And what they told us is that everything that was done was a complete violation of the procedures that had been set out. And they were among the people who said, in an accident like that, the immediate assumption, especially when there are certain bodily signs, is that you have massive internal bleeding, it's the greatest threat to life, and that therefore you've got to get them into surgery at the fastest possible moment. The military hospital near the tunnel was the standard location that would be used, especially when you have a VIP in a life-threatening situation. They violated that procedure. They didn't get her into surgery within 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, they took two hours. So the whole story uh, is just inconsistent with the evidence that we got from the people who actually designed the emergency rescue system for the city of Paris. So let me go back to um, my other question. And, and would that then suggest that the people that were transporting Princess Diana to hospital were, were being controlled by MI5, MI6? What? Well, it's certainly a, a, a good hypothesis that that's what we're dealing with. And, of course, despite appearances of conflict, there are many close working relations between European intelligence services. So here's where we're getting into, unfortunately, a certain realm of speculation, precisely because the investigations to date uh, excluded the idea of assassination and therefore did not pursue aggressively uh, any of the anomalies in the case. And we've touched on some of them, but there are other anomalies that are equally glaring. Before we get to some of those anomalies that you say are equally glaring, let's uh, um, address a rumor that's been floating around there and just simply, you know, for one reason or another, refuses to die. And that is that the motive uh, for taking uh, the life of Princess Diana and Dodi Fayed was that she was pregnant and that the Windsors would not stand for a, a Muslim heir to the throne. Was she, in fact, pregnant? Do we know with with 100% certainty that she was or was not pregnant at the time of her death? We don't know. Um, there are adamant denials coming from the French and the British medical examiners who had access to her uh, body after she was pronounced dead. Um, but um, we're relying on the truthfulness and accuracy of their comments. My own view is that um, the idea that the issue here was um, a pregnancy and a potential heir um, is not convincing. Um, there's no question that Prince Philip um, is an absolute racist and certainly would have been 
furious, and we know he was furious, over Diana's relationship with Dodi Al-Fayed. But uh, as I said at the outset, there were grand political factors at play here that involved the very credibility and survival of the House of Windsor. And that represented, to my view, a far more powerful motive if we're dealing here with assassination. In uh, season two... Bono here goes directly to uh, Elizabeth and Philip and Charles. Uh, Season two of the uh, Conspiracy Television program, you were uh, kind enough to sit down for an interview uh, up here in Toronto as we um, discussed this very matter. And uh, I believe at that time you 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 did not suspect that that she was pregnant uh, or that that certainly was the motive. An interesting thing. Well, we're about to come up onto a break. Uh, if we have time, I'll address it on the other side. But uh, the whole question of, of whether she was even seriously involved with with Dodi Fayed, her skeptics maintained she was not. Uh, in fact, uh, a prominent skeptic who appeared in that episode uh, said that the the so-called engagement ring was created by Mohammed al-Fayed after uh, the couple were both dead, and um, he prominently displayed it in Herod's, which he owned at the time, um, beneath this statue of the uh, of the couple. But I'll get you to address that perhaps as well, whether they in fact were seriously involved, and we'll discuss much more. Jeffrey Steinberg, Executive Intelligence Review, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Back with Jeffrey Steinberg from EIR. Jeffrey, uh, before we go any further, how do people subscribe to Executive Intelligence Review? Uh, if you go to our website, www.larouchepub.com, that's L-A-R-O-U-C-H-E-P-U-B, dot com uh, you will find a link to uh, how to subscribe to the publication uh, it's a 50 times a year basically weekly magazine it goes out uh, electronically to subscribers who will be given an ID and a password to give them instant access and I'm happy to say that we're in the process of uh, pretty much completing a project to put the entire archive of every back issue of EIR, which goes back to 1974, uh, on our website with a very effective search engine. So not only is it the most valuable source of current breaking news and in-depth analysis and very important uh, material about scientific and political and economic options for the future. But it is, uh, if I do say so myself, uh, one of the best archives for any kind of research being conducted into the major political and economic events of the last 40 years. It's certainly a, a valuable tool for people like myself as well. So thank you for that, Jeffrey. 
that's a huge, you know, monumental task, uh, uh, going back to 1974 and, and, our, and archiving and putting all that online. Uh, so back to Princess Diana. Uh, John McNamara, I believe it's John McNamara, was uh, head of security at Harrods, still right. works for Mohammed El-Fayed, former Scotland Yard, uh, and continues to pursue this investigation. Very nice man. Sat down with him uh, not too far from Kensington Palace and interviewed him. He maintains that uh, uh, Dodi Fayed left the Ritz with Princess Diana, was on his way uh, to another hotel where he was going to propose to her and had the ring waiting and everything. Uh, the skeptic, whose name escapes me, a uh, very well-spoken individual as well, uh, who's you know covered this story from his perspective, uh, says that that's a complete fabrication and that, uh, again, the... The engagement ring, in fact, was was made after the couple died uh, by Muhammad El Fayed, and then and then displayed prominently at Harrods. Uh, what do you what do you know or believe was the the nature of their relationship? Were they going to get married? Well, I can't say that for certain, but I do know that you know it's 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 unambiguous that um, during the course of their uh, stay in Paris, that at one point. Dodi Fayed did go to a nearby jeweler, uh, and uh, there was a ring um, that was pre-ordered and was picked up. And, uh, yes, they were planning to go to another location. It was basically a uh, an apartment that the uh, Al-Fayed family had elsewhere in Paris. It was obviously a more... Uh, secure and secluded place than the Ritz Hotel. And so um, this whole idea of basically trashing Mohammed al-Fayed uh, on the basis of these kinds of claims, I just find scandalous. I, 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 don't, I don't believe it for a minute. I also know John McNamara, and I've had the opportunity to meet Mohammed al-Fayed on a few occasions, and uh, I believe that they are absolutely passionately committed to getting at the truth no matter where that leads them. So uh, I, I think there were a lot of hacks who were sent out, particularly on behalf of the House of Windsor, uh, to just try to basically throw cold water on every single element of this investigation uh, to block uh, anything from seriously being done to get to the truth and get to the bottom of what happened. Henri Paul, the driver, many times Sorry. over the uh, the legal alcohol uh, uh, limit, blood alcohol limit, uh, and yet this again coming to to me from John McNamara, the newspaper headlines even before an autopsy concluded uh, what Henri Paul's blood alcohol level was. The, the the newspapers in England were already running headlines saying things like Henri Paul drunk pig and things like that. Is that true? Not at all. Not at all. In fact, this is one of the big anomalies uh, that uh, still remains uh, critical to the whole case. Um, the, the blood sample on Henri Paul, that's the sole basis for the claim that he was drunk at the time, uh, also showed levels of carbon monoxide presence uh, that uh, were, were lethal. And therefore, there are all kinds of serious, serious um, problems with all of those claims. If that was genuinely Henri Paul's blood sample and it was a uh, pristine sample, then there's no way 
that he could have even gotten behind the wheel of a car with that level of carbon monoxide presence. Agreed. So yeah. either you buy the blood alcohol level, in which case you're stuck with the carbon monoxide, <clears throat> in which case there's no possible explanation for him being able to literally stand up and walk. And his video footage of Henri Paul walking out of the Ritz Hotel accompanying Diana and Dodie. And you show no signs whatsoever <clears throat> of this level of either alcohol intoxication or especially alcohol plus carbon monoxide. So there's something absolutely rotten and completely discredited in the use of that blood sample as a basis for concluding that he was drunk. Well, I, I think the, the, the oddity that McNamara was attempting to point out to me was that the headlines were screaming that Henri Paul was a drunk at the time of the accident, even before the autopsy came out. So showing right. some sort of, uh, I don't know, um, a collusion with the media in this regard, I don't know. I don't know what well, to make sure. of that. Well, sure. I mean, it, it, it's one of the things that leads me to still very much lean in the direction that this was not just simply a case of paparazzi's gone wild, instigated maybe by the monarchy, uh, but vehicular homicide and not a premeditated professional assassination. The fact that the line went out so uniformly and so quickly uh, is indicative to me that some strings were pulled, high-level strings, uh, to put out a line, a cover-up line, uh, it's, in, in some respects, very reminiscent of some of the things that came up that were clearly part of a cover-up and a pre-organized cover-up in the Kennedy assassination as well. Well, it, course, it's, it's very reminiscent a of... professional uh... operation, uh, as we suspect in the case of Princess Diana. The most important thing is that you've got a cover-up in place beforehand. Let's talk about the uh, the white Fiat Uno, the mystery car inside the Paris tunnel uh, at the time of the accident. Um, what, you uncovered a lot in this regard as well. What can you tell us about this mystery Fiat Uno that was later apparently recovered? Uh, well, there were a number of eyewitnesses, including an off-duty uh, senior Paris police official <clears throat> who uh, were driving along the same stretch of the road uh, leading into the tunnel where the crash occurred prior to Diana. And several people described uh, the unusual behavior of this white Fiat Uno that was speeding along uh, as if to get to a certain point at a certain time. And when it got within a close proximity of the tunnel, uh, the car virtually came to a stop and was moving along, inching along, and basically... Uh, arrived at the entrance to the tunnel coincident with the Mercedes carrying Princess Diana and Dodi Fayed and the whole entourage of paparazzi speeding behind them. And there were indications that um, the purpose of that white fiat was to basically hit the Mercedes at a critical point and throw the car into a spin that led to the crash. And there were eyewitnesses, uh, including an English barrister who was celebrating his anniversary at a hotel right nearby, who saw that white car and a second black, darker car 
coming together out of the tunnel soon after the crash. Also, a number of eyewitnesses said, number one, that they heard two crashes in very rapid succession, suggesting that perhaps there was a kind of bumper car operation and then the full-on crash into the one of the pillars inside the tunnel by the Mercedes. So then you also had a number of eyewitnesses, uh, one of whom was driving just ahead of the Mercedes, who saw in the rearview mirror a uh, very, very powerful sudden flash of light and then saw a, a motorcycle speed out of the tunnel. Um, that account could suggest either uh, a uh, paparazzi camera with an extremely uh, high-powered flash or perhaps uh, a laser, which was a rather common blinding weapon uh, that was used for crowd control and other things and was widely available for sale over-the-counter at certain uh, spy shops around Paris. The white Fiat Uno was later discovered, uh, I believe, sort of burned out and inside, supposedly, the the driver. Um, what can you tell us about that? Well, the, this occurred um, soon after the crash. Um, one of the leading uh, paparazzi operating around Europe, uh, who did have a white Fiat Uno, uh, was mysteriously found uh, dead in that car, and the car had been set on fire and basically turned to ashes. That was James Andenson. Exactly right. He was paparazzi as well, was he not? Yes, exactly. And he had connections and, to MI5? Uh, yes. Well, look, all of the paparazzi, to uh, be able to actually be successful, uh, cultivated ties to all of the intelligence agencies and police agencies in the countries where they were operating. The reason is pretty obvious. Uh, the name of the game with the paparazzis is to get there a few seconds ahead of everybody else and get that unique photograph that can yes. make it into the tabloids and you know, generate six-figure payouts for one snap of the camera. Listen, Jeff, we're, regrettably, we're out of time. I'm guessing you're going to be covering uh, this uh, latest a bit of information that's being investigated, uh, this SAS, uh, British uh, military sure. connection to her death, and we look forward to uh, hearing your updates on that. Thank you again for this, Jeffrey. My pleasure. All right. Listen, that's it for me. My thanks to Tim Spreen. Back next week with a brand new show. Hope you'll be aboard. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.